Welcome to the On Target Living Podcast, a place where health and human performance meet. Hey everybody, it's Steven, the uh, creative director here at On Target Living, and we're having another Q&A episode. And we're going to go through some common questions we get here at On Target Living and, uh, you know, try to bring some clarity for you guys. So I'm here with Chris Johnson, CEO at On Target Living. Hello, Steven. What's up, Chris? <laughs> Chris is glad to be here with me, I'm sure, because um, I'm going to grill him on some stuff and uh, we haven't really prepared in advance. So... Uh, wish us luck. Um, so my first question, Chris, how should we use the food target? And I think it's a good time to kind of talk about what it is and um, all that good stuff in case people don't know. Well, this food target, I worked at this large health club, which is called the Michigan Athletic Club. I started there in 1990. I was a director of health and fitness there and we had one of the largest personal training programs in the world. It was a mega club, one of the largest uh, hospital-based clubs in the world. Uh, we had close to 10,000 members, 275,000 square feet. So it was a big, big place. And everybody's trying to lose weight. So I started doing this seminar way back in the day called Meal Patterning. I was looking at the habits of sumo wrestlers and how they gained their weight. And um, I had competed in bodybuilding. Uh, since 1985 and I knew the way really for me the strategy was not you know being just calorically depleted it was learning how to improve the quality of the food you're eating and so all the diets out there and you know it's this circle keeps going and so I thought what if you could build a, a tool to help people because obviously we had the food pyramid which was right. kind of a you know, there's a lot of reasons behind why they develop it. It, it, but it's confusing to people. Food is confusing. So that's how the target e evolved. I, at the time, I, I had three circles. The center was green, and then I had more of a yellow, kind of a caution light, and then the red was the outside. And then I put carbs, proteins, and fats and allowed them to help them understand what is a carb. Because most people really don't understand a carb. I'm gonna cut carbs out or carbs or sugars or whatever, but fruits and vegetables. And then the same thing with, you know, back when I first got going, fats were the villain. You know, nobody wants to eat fats. Well, right. for, for nobody should be eating saturated fats. And now today everybody's talking about, you know, coconut oil and things like that. So, and then protein, everybody's, even today, it's I gotta eat protein, protein, protein. So. It was a tool I designed to help people incrementally make changes and educate them on how to, you know, make better choices along the way. So that's how it evolved in 1994. And then slowly people would ask me, well, is this good or bad or indifferent? And then we started talking about the source because you, you can't put every nutrient inside the target, right? right? So you just help them understand that, you know, good carbs, good proteins and good fats. And basically, if you get close to the source, most of them live in the center of the target. And if you're eating in the outside area of the target, then you're just like, hey, if I like coffee make creamer in my coffee, I'm just gonna get a better creamer. If I like Doritos, I get you know a better, a better chip. So that's really how it, that's kind of how I would teach people. And that's how we designed it over time. And then Kristen added, uh, you know, condiments and beverages to help people bring a little bit more clarity to that. So that's how it all began. But it's forgiving. So we want to make sure everybody understands it's forgiving. And it's just a tool that we've used 
since the beginning to help people make better choices. Yeah, it's kind of a, a graphic illustration of, of how people should eat and what they should eat. And they can get that off the website if they want to. So if they don't, you know, haven't seen it before, just go to our website and under resources, it's one of the handouts. So what are, what are some of the, the biggest questions you get when people see the food, food target? Well, I think the first response is, it's so easy. So, hey, I can teach my, uh, you know, my grade school kids. Uh, so I think that's, that's the big one. And then they'll start looking, you know, every time we do a live event, you know, we give it as a tool and it's laminated. So it's a nice piece and they can put it in the refrigerator and there's exercises on the back. But you can see them in the audience just looking at, is this good or bad? Or, so now they're kind of being, they're recognizing like, is peanut butter bad? And then they're realizing, well, no, peanut butter's not bad. That peanut butter's bad. I just need to make it better. So that's what they start realizing like, hmm, you mean I, that is, no, that's good. So it, it really is an awareness tool that, you know, like maybe I shouldn't be doing that energy drink or maybe I shouldn't be doing, you know, whatever. Yeah, and right. It just allows them to create that awareness. So one thing that's interesting is um, it's, it's got some specific content, but also um, it's not like you should eat this brand or you should eat that brand because this brand is better than that brand. It's more of a broad awareness of, of a type. And then so what it does require is for people to have a little bit of common sense to kind of figure it out and navigate their own diet, right? Yeah, so when you when you know when I first started looking, I like okay, so in the carbs, for example, you know I put fruits and vegetables and ancient grains and you know starchy carbs like potatoes and and they're like potatoes are good. I'm like yeah, it's the right. source, so it would create that awareness. I mean, you can eat a banana. Yeah, a banana is really really healthy for you. So I think that's what was missing for a lot of people. They had that preconceived thought that's for certain foods. And most people think peanut butter is, you know, super healthy for you. It can be, but there's a lot of peanut butters that are very processed and trans fats. And I have a peanut butter that's been with me for 22 years. So that's not the peanut butter we're talking about. So it really does instantly gets, create some awareness that anybody pretty much can understand. And that's how, why I designed it to create some clarity on what a carb protein and fat was and right. how do you upgrade them. So is the, the food target is primarily based on the source concept and pH and what else, right? It's just based on the source. And again, as foods get closer to the source, everything takes over. It's good for my cells. It's good for my pH. It's going to be good for my, you know, uh, close to the source. So that's really the, the three principles. At the time, I didn't design it that way. But instinctively, I knew when I was getting ready to compete in bodybuilding, the way I would get leaner is that I would just eat foods that had one or two ingredients. And if it had more than one or two ingredients, I wasn't eating it. And I did that for three months. And it was an easy plan to, it was, it was simple to follow, but it wasn't easy to, to, to implement. So that's what people always ask me. Hey, when you get ready for a bodybuilding show, how do you get leaner and how do you get cut and whatever? I'm like, I just eat foods close to the source, you know, one or two ingredients, and, and I'd try to eat in balance. I, I didn't cut, nothing was off limits. So when I'd get ready for a contest, I was eating oatmeal and raisins and bananas, and people were like, really? Like, yeah. I wasn't eating too much of it, but I was eating those foods because I realized that you wanna have that in balance. And I felt great, um, and I, 
what I did on stage was kind of how would I follow in my lifestyle. I just basically notched it up. I, there was no 80-20 rule getting ready to compete. It's basically 100 zeros. Oh, right. yeah. But that's that's short term. Yeah, because that doesn't sound fun. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's a short term get ready. It's a it's a great process to follow. It's a great journey, but it's not something you can sustain over time without having some liberties here and there. Yeah, there's no no toaster strudels when you're getting ready for <laughs> none of that, and you you know, and you're not overeating either. So it's all that. So yeah, just very controlled yeah. or very um, particular. Very, yep, that's great. So um, here's here's another question we get often um, when you say when you say these are um, you know from the source or single ingredient foods. Um, I think sometimes people take that as well. I can't have, you know, I can't have that pasta because there's there's sauce, there's pasta, and there's salt and pepper or whatever. Like, so I can't eat that. I can only eat the apple. Can you talk to that? Well, the goal is whatever you're eating, you try to get it closer to the source. So if you like salt, well, most salt is processed sodium chlorohydrate which is very unhealthy for you. But all salt is sea salt before they process it back to the source. So if it's Himalayan sea salt or Celtic sea salt, that's what I'm talking about. So you're not giving up salt, you're just getting closer to the salt source. It's, it's in everything. Like if you have an apple, then you have apple sauce and then you have apple juice and, you know, as Will Ferrell says, apple jacks and, you know, the list goes on. So that's really, that's the thought. So I, I don't have to eat perfect. If you looked at this Garden of Eden tortilla chips, it's not the source, but it's closer because it only has three ingredients versus a Dorito has you know close to seventy ingredients. Right. So that that's just the thought. I have a you know crummy pop tart, and then I have a healthier pop tart. So it's not the source, but it's better whether it's pasta or whatever. So I think that's what we have to keep thinking is whatever you like. How do you make it better? Oatmeal only has one ingredient, that's it. Versus maple and brown sugar oatmeal that's processed, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, and I think um, one thing is that people, it gets a little confusing to some people, so I think some clarity would be, hey, if you mix oatmeal and banana and apple, that's three ingredients, but those are all one ingredient foods. Correct, they're so all you source. Can, you can mix them up. Oh yeah, it's not, yeah. when we no, say no. one ingredient no, no, food, no. it's not like, okay, after you never- Well, you would never know, you would never know have a recipe, so. <laughs> yes, you can cook your favorite recipes, no. but use instead of- Yeah, you're, uh, just, you're just trying to make it where nature, that's how, it, that's how it is. And that's why, you know, when you look at some of these things we have in this table, these are all source one ingredient foods, and then you slow have a mixture and then you have multiple ingredients. Yeah. Like butter, it's so simple. You know, I, have, I can't believe it's butter. So I always tell my audiences that they think this is funny, but it's not butter. If you like butter, you eat butter. And if you wanna, you know, so that, that's, that's, that's an easy thing to think about in making your food better. So when you hear somebody talk about, I can't eat tomatoes anymore, I can't eat nightshades or whatever, you're not over, most people are not overdoing it. You're getting closer to the source. You really can't go wrong. Nothing's really off limits, which makes it interesting and, and, and fun for people. And I, I mean, I can have that. Yeah, is it close to the source? Sure, then you're good. Yeah, can you tell that story? Um, I love this story about the lady that said, I can't believe you eat bananas. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, years ago, I'm in the grocery store and minding my own business, walking down the aisle, and in my community, in our community here, I was I've been in this business my whole life, and I'm known as that you know fitness nutrition guy. So this woman comes up to me. I got bananas in my cart, and she says, "Hey, you're that nutrition fitness guy. I have no idea where this is going." And she said, do you eat bananas? And I said, yeah, I got bananas in my cart. She said, don't you know they're high in the glycemic index? Glycemic index rates how fast a food gets in the body. Bananas are high in the glycemic index, you know. I said, yeah, I know how, I, I, I've, I've written books and I have it in my book about glycemic index. She said, I'm just, I'm just surprised you eat bananas and walked away. And I'm like, I just got scolded for having bananas in my cart. So I chased after a couple aisles later and uh, I said, excuse me, since when is a banana become an unhealthy food? She said, going to the whole thing, her belief was that bananas made you fat. You know, bananas are not causing an epidemic of obesity in the United States today, but that was her mindset, you can't have bananas, or you can't eat raisins, or you can't eat oatmeal, because these things make people fat. This is not causing an obesity epidemic in the United States, is eating too many bananas. But people have that belief even today. I mean, with a keto diet, more and more people are cutting carbs completely out of their diet. And the, the detriment of that is healthy brain and a healthy gut. So we need these foods, as we talked in the last podcast, food is medicine and uh, the power of that. So again, she didn't like the idea of, you know, I had bananas and I don't know about you, but I love the taste of bananas. They're easy, yeah. they're portable, high in potassium and really a nice prebiotic for the gut. So I'll tell you my story about grocery shopping. I went to, I won't name names, but I went to one that's supposedly very healthy. And I was all excited because they had a huge selection of dried fruit. And I was like, this is gonna be great. You know, I love fruit, but sometimes, you know, it's nice to have that for trail mix or whatever. So I go in there and I pick up a bag of dried mangoes. I was so excited. And then on the way home, I was going to snack on some and I opened them up and they were coated in what I would imagine is probably corn syrup. They had a sticky coating, so they're so sweet and whatever. So I look at the back and there's tons of ingredients and I was so disappointed because I just wanted the mango. The mango is so good by itself, but they had to add all that to it. They had to process it. Well, and again, sometimes when you look at dried fruit, raisins is an exception, but they add things to them because they preserve them. You know, we sell mangoes on our website. You don't need to add any sweetness to a mango. It's yeah. naturally sweet. And then, again, it's a preserver they use, whether it's a syrup or a sugar or a combination of the two. But yeah, it's very disappointing. I bought, you know, dried cherries before. Where I'm almost positive they haven't added anything to them. And then I find out they've added some type of syrup to it to preserve it and it's very you know you don't need to add anything to it to to make it taste amazing yeah you have to go closer to the source right right and, and that's the less processing like i can attest to this because i asked mark in the warehouse about this why why they would do that and apparently our mangoes they're so good but the shelf life is pretty short because if you go like let's say if they were sitting down there for two years they wouldn't be any good so there's added care that has to go into, you know, making sure. Yeah, I mean, why right. did sugar, why is, uh, you know, why did high fructose corn syrup or, you know, any of these soybean oil or corn oil or whatever, but part of that is, is uh, sugar is a natural preservative. And so the more they can add, I mean, trans fats, people know about trans fats and natural, you know, you couldn't put bread on a grocery 
uh, shelf because it would, you know, it would mold relatively right. fast. So if it doesn't rot, probably not a good thing <laughs> to put in your body. <laughs> and so mangoes, whatever it might be, they all age quickly. And that's why mangoes get super, you know, hard and like a bootstrap. And that's why, you know, when we bring them in, we bring them in fresh and they're pretty much, they, they're consumed relatively fast. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've got to go out the door quick or else. So if you, you have an apple and the apple's not rotting or you have bread and the bread's not rotting, we know about, you know, certain fast food buns that don't rot. That means you know, there's things in them that are now allowing them to rot, which is, if it doesn't rot, you probably shouldn't put it in your body. Right, right. Uh, processed food in general is really interesting to me. And here's one that I saw in the news recently. Um, people are now getting into raw water. Have you heard of raw water? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, it's the unprocessed form of water. So um, can you talk to me about water, what, what you should be looking for, what you should worry about? Yeah, I mean, it's like anything else. It's, it's turned into water. It used to be water. And I remember when I was uh, working at Frito-Lay, they were selling bottled water in the grocery stores. And I thought, God, that's the stupidest thing ever. Who's going to pay for water in a bottle? You can get water, you know, through your tap. So water's not water anymore. We started putting more things in our water. So again, wherever you are in the world, you'd want to get your, if you use a tap, you want to get it tested. Whether it's a well water, or city water, whatever, just to see what's in your water. That's step one. Um, I have a well where I'm at and it uh, has lots of minerals, but also can have, you know, toxic things in it too. So we have a water ionizer, it has a filtration system. Um, so that's what we use for drinking water at my house. And then if I'm traveling, I'm gonna buy uh, spring water, artesian water, or mineral water. So I don't really buy much water, but if I am traveling, I will buy those. And then uh, mineral water is something I consume on a regular basis, like a Pellegrino or Bedoid, or there's lots of options out there. But we're getting more like, you know, alkaline water, you get into purified water. I mean, purified water is gonna be more where they take minerals out of the, the water, which is something I don't recommend on a regular basis. So if you're buying water, buy artesian spring water or, or uh, mineral water. And, uh, and like I said, I'm a big fan of the water ionizer because it's a filter and it also ionizes the water, which makes it more alkaline naturally, which doesn't cost anything. So lots on water. Uh, if you go in the grocery store today, it's 100 feet of different options of water. And it really gets back to, you know, what type of water, but it's artesian, spring and mineral. Those are your three best choices if you're buying water. Yeah. Um, an observation I made is most people don't drink enough but they're getting hung up on which type. Well, it's like anything else. I think we need to really focus on quality and then we start making sure we're drinking enough water because like, like you said, most people are not drinking enough water. 95% of people coming in the emergency rooms today are dehydrated. That's why they're coming there. So whether they have digestive issues or headaches or trauma or whatever it is, most people are dehydrated. So I always take the challenge for almost everybody set a water pitcher. My mom did this before she passed away. You know, my mom stayed with us for about two or three months before, you know, her last six months of her life. And she kept going to the emergency room. And if you take anybody to the emergency room, unfortunately, it's going to be a long process. We're in there nine, 10 and 11 hours. It's crazy. And they do the same thing over and over and over. And that, that's the protocol. They have to. Right. 
But every time my mom went into the emergency room, it was dehydration. So when she came and lived with us, I said, mom, here's the deal. She weighed like 100 pounds. I filled up a pitcher of 50 ounces. I said, I want you to drink. I drink plenty of water. She was carrying it around, but she wasn't drinking it. So two days in a row, I think she drank about 20 ounces of water each day. And she thought she was drinking, you know, 50, 60 ounces. So it's an awareness tool, that's a big deal. But water, if you're not drinking enough water, that would be step number one with nutrition. And that's really, um, for most people, they're not drinking enough water. And then from there, we really work on the quality of the water they're consuming, which is a big deal. I mean, we obviously experienced that here in Michigan with the Flint water problems. You know, contaminated water is a big deal. So really folk think about getting your water tested. And then number two is, you know, improving the quality of the water and then making sure you're getting enough water. Right, cool. So let's let's dive into this. Um, so this is uh, this is kind of related to hydration, and you talk about this a lot. But um, water with lemon, water with lime, um, it's great for your digestion, all that good stuff. But um, I think a lot of people they don't understand why drinking a lemon in your water is um makes you more alkaline because lemon as we all know is acidic right that's the thought yeah so certain people you know one of the things we have to understand is food by digestion creates alkalinity or acidity so just because a food is acidic does not by nature you score it as very you know scored it in your eye but by digestion is very alkalizing so there are certain foods that have more alkalizing benefits the most alkalizing of all fruits fruits in general are very alkalizing for the body so as listeners out there just remember fruits if you take fruits out of the body you're losing the alkalinity and fruits are also natural detoxifiers so i'm not saying you need to eat a ton of fruit every day but you need to me be eating fruit every day so i'm eating dark frozen cherries i had them in my oatmeal this morning i'm i have a uh, i'm always eating uh, i always talk about apples and then uh, berries and you know mangoes and things like that i love raisins and so there's fruits have so many but one of the benefits of fruits is they're alkalizing and they're also naturally detoxifying and so when you put things in your water, it's an easy thing. I have lemons in my water this morning. So at the beginning of each week, I take two lemons and I cut them up and put them in a glass container because it's easy. Now it's easy for me. Right. I also take oranges because I love the taste of oranges. And now with COVID and vitamin C is such a big deal. So I take two oranges and cut those up. So I have two separate containers and I put them in my water. These are easy things people can do to improve their gut health and their immune system and so forth. And then if people are having problems with acid reflux or gout, to even take it up a notch and now we're bringing in ginger. So ginger is very good for the gut. You know, we're here from Michigan, we're Verner's capital of the world. I remember when I used to get sick as a kid, my mom used to give me ginger ale. And so the benefit of ginger in hot water, a little lemon or maybe a little bit of local honey or maple syrup is a great cocktail in the evening. So all these things are really beneficial for improving your gut health. And they're so simple and they don't cost anything. Yeah. Do you remember when, um, so earlier this year when they kind of were announcing COVID-19 and you know, this and that, and there's going to be people getting sick and then you went in and there's all these shortages in the stores, right? Verner's was nowhere to be found. It was selling so fast. And that, that kind of made me crack up because like, is the is this pop, it's delicious. Is that gonna really 
boost your immune system and help you out as much as you No, it kind of soothes the stomach, but yeah, no, it's, it's again back to these basic things, but you can make a nice cocktail. Like we have a hot water heater right here. Just get some hot water. You can buy ginger frozen, or you can just shred the ginger, put it in a container and throw it in there. And then you could put some uh, apple cider vinegar or lemon, or maybe even a little maple syrup or local honey. Now I'm getting it to taste the way I want to. And it's not, it's not ginger ale, but it's, you know, it's really good for your gut health. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think I think that's, you know, we talk about the source all the time, but I think that's a perfect example of, you know, if you if you drink a little warm ginger water and with some lemon, it's like, it's great. There's no downside to it. If you drink the same amount of, of ginger ale, you've got the sugar, you've got everything else in it. And it's like your benefit, you're looking for that benefit, but you have all of the drawbacks because it's processed. Yeah, and again, if you want some ginger ale occasionally or some root beer or whatever it might be, that's great. But these are some really easy things to improve your gut health, and especially with COVID, you know, everybody's trying to really focus on their immune system and it all begins in the gut. And these are some easy things to do. Yeah. So instead of uh, trying to drink ginger ale for health benefits, <laughs> drink it to enjoy it's it. It's sold out, right? Yeah. I love ginger ale. You know, we with with COVID and everything happening, um, there's lots of there's lots of worry and uncertainty. Can you talk about um, diaphragmatic breathing? You know, we we've touched on this before, but um, what does that do? How does that help? Well, I think right now uh, there's so much anxiety out there, mental health. We know suicide has drastically gone way up. But I think a couple of things that I would recommend is, is number one is how do you create a little more stillness in your day, in your life? And how do you quiet the mind? Because it's hard to do. So one of the things for me personally that I, I do myself and also teach is one of the fastest ways to quiet my mind and create stillness is focusing on my breath. And when I focus on my breath, it relaxes the nervous system and allows my gut health and everything and so rest and digest so breathing is a big deal and really we, we need to breathe through the nose you know we've talked a lot about this we need to slow it down and we need to use the diaphragm and when people do that it creates stillness and part of the way to get back into the moment versus anxiety is the fear of the future and depression's more thinking about the past i think when people get in the moment which is hard to do um that's kind of where the magic lives and it's hard to do that. And what one benefit of breathing is that, you know, and then we, you can go to the next level, you get into meditation and things like that, but it really begins with the breath. And, and most people have heard about it. They think about it maybe a little bit, but they don't practice it. So it's a practice and it's something I'm trying to get better at all the time is my breathing. Yeah. So I know, um, you know, you're not necessarily like a psychiatrist or anything like that, but can you kind of, when you're in the middle, when you're between um, being anxious and depressed, like what what are the benefits, like career-wise, life-wise, when you figure that out, what's, what's going on there? Well, I, I think for me personally is, I think everybody, me, me included, you know, you have days where things just aren't going right or you know you're in a you're you're in a sad mood or you know so step one is kind of embracing where you're at and you know what's happening and so self-awareness is huge 
And then from there, you're saying, okay, what practices do I have to keep me, you know, and like you said earlier in a podcast, you're talking about reframing. Could I reframe this question? You know, like when we got back from middle of March, I came back from a, 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 an event and we lost 17 speaking events over a four day period. And this is what we do for a living. And so I get home and Paul and I were talking and she said, what are we gonna do? I said, I, I don't know, this is what we do for a living. So initially I kind of went into that fear mode. I went into over maybe overestimating the threat. And I think that's what we're doing right now with COVID is I think a lot of people are overestimating whether it's the election or the stock market or my career or whatever. And if we stay more in the moment, I think that's kind of where it's hard to do, but that's really where people start feeling better, you know, and gratitude's such a huge emotion. Like you get up in the morning and what are you grateful for? So, but I think some real simple practices that I do for me daily to keep my emotions uh, is gratitude's a big one. How I breathe, um, I'm a big fan of moving my body every day because movement, I kind of get lost. It kind of cleans my mind, makes me feel good. And then uh, how we eat and sleeping. And so the basics really are a big deal for mental health. And I think we're, I think as a society, we need to go back and really keep reinforcing the basics for mental health. Because as you mentioned before, the mind and body are completely connected. You know, serotonin is a neurotransmitter in the body that in, in its 90% is produced in the gut that makes us happy. So if you looked at some of the depression medications, they're, serotonin serotonin uptaking drugs that keep serotonin in the brain longer well what if you're not producing enough serotonin right that's a problem so that all begins with getting that gut healthy and if i'm stressed i'm anxious i'm probably not going to have good gut health so this is a big can of worms but it really gets back to the human body and understanding the mind and body connection yeah can you talk more about about exercising for your mind i know um historically when I thought of exercise it's like okay the only reason why I need exercise is to lose weight or to get stronger there's no there's nothing outside of that right those are the two reasons why you would exercise yeah and I think you you hit it right there as as most people when we used to be at the the Michigan Athletic Club we used to have time limits for the you know the cardio machines 30 minutes why are they on there for 30 minutes because they're on there to lose weight. If you looked at all the advertisements on TV, whether it's the mirror or you know the Peloton or what, what are they really trying to do? Maybe they're trying to get more fit. You know, maybe they're trying to lose weight or get leaner. All of the above could be great, but really the most powerful thing that movement does is what it does for your mind. Right. And so one of the things I always have is self-talk because I don't feel like it today. My energy is not good. You know. I just know if I can get on my mini trampoline for a few minutes here and there, I start doing some dynamic warm up and stretches. I'd maybe do a few push-ups or whatever my whatever I'm doing restorative movements. When I get done, I know what it's going to do for my mind. It's, I'm going to be more relaxed. My brain is going to be clear. My thoughts and my worries that I maybe had earlier have kind of disappeared. So really, I, I always tell people one of the greatest benefits of moving your body every day is what it, it washes the brain. I don't look at as it only I'm going to get leaner or stronger. Or right. I, I look at what it's doing for my brain. And so now it's even more important for me to move my body daily to have the emotions and the feelings that I'm looking for. 
And I think when people start going into that, because nobody ever feels disappointed when they probably move their body. And then many people try to carve out workouts that they don't enjoy. That's maybe another challenge they have. So if you looked at our society, why are we not moving when we know it's the, it's, it's the, it's the pill that would probably heal a lot of people because we don't make it enjoyable and fun and you know the things that we need to do so there's a lot of reasons why people don't move their body but the number one benefit of moving your body in my opinion is what it does for your mind yeah you know some days on like a sunday it, I'll, I'll feel like just vegging out you know and you're like man i don't even want to take the trash out today that sounds like a Sounds like a hard thing to do. You know, like it's like well, walking 15 yeah. feet. It's like the rock at rest stays at rest. We've all done that. Yeah. And that's okay. But we also need to think about movement can also be very, very restorative. And so a lot of the movements that we teach here is it doesn't need to be hard. It could be just getting on that foam roller and doing some simple stretching and things that feel good, but I'm still moving my body. The number one way to people lose weight is how they breathe. Yeah. So it's not like sweating, it's how we're breathing. So even if you're doing a little bit of movement and having good breathing, you know, it, it, it all rolls together. But that's the benefit is what it does for your mind. Can you talk about um, some ways to kind of incentivize yourself to work out? Like for me, um, if you said, hey, do you want to go for a walk in the woods? Like I'll enjoy that, but I get kind of bored after 15 minutes or so. But if you said, or if I was like, hey, you know, my goal is to go take some photos at sunset or something. Like I could walk for three hours and not even, you know, it's like that's what I'm doing. I'm enjoying it. I have something to do. Like what are some ways that people can be? Well, you just hit it. What is interesting for you? Right. So if you like dancing, you probably be active. And the other thing, too, I tell people or, you know, we talk about this is that are you training for something? So if you like dancing, maybe you need to work on your flexibility or whatever to help you dance better. Or if you like golf, maybe you're working on your strength and flexibility to play better golf. So now there's some incentive to, you know, when you're going walking in the woods, just walking in the woods with you and Megan, maybe you're deciding that, well, I'm gonna take some photos today, time disappears. Right. You know, that's what play's all about. We know right now as, as, as a society, we're not playing enough. You know, it's interesting, the pickleball craze has gone crazy all over the country. Why? Because it's fun. I'm getting people to, I mean, if I looked at my phone every night, I'm getting texts that, hey, can you play tonight? Can you play tonight? Can you play tonight? Well, if I was, I'm gonna go run for three miles or go lift weights in the gym, I don't yeah. get that same in invitation. You don't so, get people texting, hey, that stair climber's <laughs> looking good too. Yeah, let's look at the stair climber. So I think that's really a, a critical point is, we need to move, but you need to find activities you love to, to do. And, and in some days you're gonna be more into it than others, but I'm doing, like if I'm getting ready to go skiing, you know, out west, I'm gonna probably try to up my game to get ready to go skiing so I'm enjoying that a little bit more, so it's a little bit more incentive. That's why I compete in bodybuilding over the years. It's, it's, a, it's something that really gets me to train for something along the way, which makes your movement a little bit more interesting and engaging. What does someone do if if they just don't they you know they they don't feel like they have any interest in moving? There's nothing that really calls them. They've tried things. They've tried going to the gym. 
Um, you know, uh, I think a lot of, I mean, I remember having a gym membership and I felt guilty for not using it and that was stressing me out. Like what's, what's um, something that people can do to shift their perspective and change their mind about moving? Yeah, and I think, I think one of the things is, is you, you step back and really what, what do people want? Because if you don't move, you're not gonna be able to move. So as time goes on, I mean, sometimes when you look in the future for some people, it's too far away. But if you're not moving, you're not gonna move in the future. So I was looking like, let's talk a little bit about your future. What do you want it to look like? Let's, let's go in time and what do you want it to look like? And then people are like, yeah, I'd like to be more flexible in movement. And would you like to be able to get out of bed? Or can you get off the floor easily? Or what happens over time, you start limiting what you can do. People are buying houses because they can't climb stairs anymore. Or activities they used to love to do, they don't do anymore. So, you know, when you get people, so now they're thinking about, it's, it's like what we talked about before, just because a food, it, you know, you don't like the taste of it doesn't mean I might not do it because I want the benefit of it. So first thing is, is looking at what do people really want? They want to move better. They want to feel better. And if you ask people, what do they want? They want to be happy. So we know motion creates positive Emotion. So we got to get them into that, all these wonderful benefits. And then from there, help them understand, like, maybe you need to walk with a friend. Or maybe you need to, you know, certain ways to get you engaged. Meet me here. Or let's play pickleball. Or let's go for a walk and take some pictures. These things now, like, that keeps me more engaged. So people have to figure that out. Some people like working out by themselves. Some people like going to a gym. The reason to go to the gym is because it's social. So over the years, I think that's the biggest challenge for most people is that as a society, we don't move. But I think most people, what you said earlier, is they focus on losing weight or they're going to get stronger or whatever it is versus all the other things that are incredibly beneficial of moving the human body. I think we lose that um, along the way. And I think once people get that back, like I get people coming in here and I'll say, hey, you know, what's the number one benefit of you get from moving your body? And they're like, how do you feel after you're done moving your body? And every one of them says the same thing. I feel great. So need to put that in your brain that if I just move my body for 10 or 15 minutes here and there, I'm gonna create this emotion that's gonna last probably a good part of my day and, and lead into more. And it's like a, it's like a muscle. You know, people say, I don't have the willpower. Well, it's a muscle you slowly build over time. And some people have more of that muscle and some have less, but I, I've worked with virtually everybody. They can build that muscle. They just have to build it slowly. And now they're doing it because of all the wonderful benefits. Right. And you gotta make it easy. Okay, so here's, here's a question. Um, strength training is i think um is one of those those ideas or topics that a lot of times causes some maybe confusion or some reluctance from people if you said hey you know strength training is great because of this and that they think well i don't want to be like arnold schwarzenegger i'm not trying to bulk up uh, or curl 100 pounds and so there's this picture we, when we think of strength training we have this idea most of us of you know this is what it means can you help to reframe that maybe let's just start with a few benefits and then talk about strength training well i, I think that's a funny i, I think that's a funny thing because it's so true i remember one time i was in uh i was at the mac at the time and i'm in the locker room and 
one guy asked me, he said, how long have you been strength training? I said, well, it was interesting. When I was 11 years old, my parents bought me a 110-pound barbell set. So I've been lifting weights for, and the question out of this guy's mouth was, why aren't you bigger? <laughs> I started laughing because, you know, I've competed in bodybuilding eight times. Like, why are you not bigger? And I've been trying to get big muscles since I was, you know, uh, a teen. Well, strength training, really, the benefits are incredible because it's the engine, the muscles. As we age, we lose muscles. And that's the engine of the body. Also, muscles move, you know, bones. And so if you don't have muscle over time, you lose the mobility and flexibility and the, uh, the engine to move. So, and then connective tissue, uh, bones, all the wonderful things of, of strength training. But if you don't strength training, you slowly, you know, the body slowly deteriorates starting at around age 35, it moves pretty fast. But if you do a little bit of strength training on a consistent basis, you can maintain that. So as we age, the thing that we, we won't lose that much muscle. I've lost a lot of muscle over the years from where I used to be, but I still can move my body. I still feel like I can do certain things. So I truly call it the strength training is the fountain of youth. Also, testosterone is one of the greatest predictors of how you're aging. And strength training is one of the primers for keeping your testosterone levels high for both men and women. So if you're not strength training, the bone health, the engine, the ability to move, all the things you want to do on top of hormones, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be just an air squat or it could be a, a modified push-up or a standing row. That's where people get sideways. They think they need to spend all day in the gym and they don't, but they need to do some form of strength training. Yeah, so can you touch on that? Because, you know, like, let's say I go into the gym and, yeah, I can curl 45s, I can curl 50s, whatever. Like, is that strength training you're talking about? Or give me, give me some examples of... So strength training is any way to add adaptation to the body. And generally, it could be a body weight resistance or it could be bands or dumbbells or machines, kettlebells. There's anything that puts a load on the body. So for example, if I lifted a, a pencil, that could be, that's not enough load to make, make adaptation. If you have so great of uh, a load that you can't move it, that's too much adaptation. So anywhere in the 25 to 30% on up is going to keep your muscles. And I think that's the thing people don't understand. You don't need to do a lot. You just need to do it consistently. But strength training is the fountain of youth, and it can be done in lots of different ways. What's the, what's the best place to start if someone's never worked out in their entire life? I teach everybody how to do a squat and a push-up. Because if you can do a squat and a push-up when you're 95 years old, you will look like you could do a squat and a push-up. And as we age, we need lower body strength and we need upper body strength. And so a push-up and a squat cover lots of ground, and there's no equipment required. Yeah, so. And you can perfect those movements. So again, we teach lots of different squats with no resistance, but it's a great for your hips and your back and your mobility, flexibility, and then a push-up. You know, it's great for the, the, the overall upper body, whether it's your shoulders and your arms and your chest, and, and then maybe you throw a back exercise in there. So usually for all my clients, I start out with anywhere between two and four strength training exercises that take maybe five to 10 minutes. So strength training isn't something that's expensive you need a gym membership for necessarily? You don't need, no. I mean, most of the exercises we teach right at the very beginning are no equipment required. When I do, when I travel and do conferences and so forth and trainings for companies, 
I go in there with no equipment and we're doing everything with no equipment and they're like, wow, we've just did a 45 minute workout with no equipment and I am just, you know, you can take the intensity up. Anytime you handle your body weight, it's gonna be always more intensity generally. Yeah, like uh, trying to do chin-ups. Like if people say you need equipment, like do some chin-ups, right? Yeah, give me, if you can give me 10 perfect push-ups and five perfect pull-ups and you know maybe a, a, a lunge and a squat, you will look like you can do all those movements. Yeah, can you talk about, um, you know, what, what just, you know, because people will be listening to this, can you kind of describe a good place to start? Like if you have mobility issues or things like that, and let's say it's a push-up, how, how does someone start and how does that increment go up? Well, I think, you know, we have many of these videos on our website, but learning how to do some basic, even, you know, if you're a high level athlete or fitness person, doing it correctly it, to protect the space in the shoulder is scapular retraction. So when the scapula is retracted or pulled together, it creates more space in the shoulders. So when you teach a push-up, most people are doing a push-up incorrectly. They're doing it, but it's hurting their shoulders and they're not really working the muscles they want. You know, they're doing all these planks, but understanding a push-up is a plank. So if you engage the core, engage the, you know, the body the way it should be, now you're getting more efficiency and you're getting more bang for the buck. So now we're doing movements quality over quantity. Same yeah. thing when we talk about food. So strength training, really that what we teach initially is, you know, where their limitations are. And then when you create, strength training can create lots of synergy in the body, which creates more balance. That's the benefit, especially with athletics, is you're trying to create more synergy in the body. So again, start slowly, see where they're at, what they can do where their limitations are, and then basically work around that. Everybody has limitations to a certain extent. And then try to teach them techniques that really help them um, with with their injuries and things like that so they sure, don't get injured sure. in the future. Yeah, so um, like like to start out, it could be a modified, could be like against the wall, and then you could go on Yeah, you could do it against the wall. You could do it, you know, against a, a, an incline, maybe on a, uh, like we could do it right here on the, the island or you can go to the floor and then you modify it there and then follow, and then you can go the other extreme where I'm doing a, maybe a handstand type push-up. So it can go one extreme to the other. All without going to the gym. Without, without going to the gym, especially during right now. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Chris. I think this is a good po point to wrap up. Um, we talked a lot um, about different topics and that kind of thing. Um, I think this is super helpful and lots of great content. So thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, great hanging out with you. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you everyone for joining us for this Q&A. Um, we're going to keep doing this and uh, keep answering your questions. Uh, if you have any for us, uh, shoot us an email. Um, you know, you can do Chris Johnson at On Target Living, you know, info at On Target Living. So we've got lots of ways to get a hold of us and um, we'll see you next time.